Welcome to the Journey of a Christian Dad podcast. I'm your host, Dan Lewis. Who is the spiritual leader of your family? Is it you, your pastor, your spouse, the media? Do you know? I did. And sadly, no one was taking responsibility to lead our family. Well, friends, someone needs to take that job, and that man is you. You may not feel qualified, and some days I don't. With the help of God and a community of dads helping each other on their journey, you can be the leader your family deserves. We welcome you to the Journey of the Christian Dad podcast. Guys, we have got a phenomenal, phenomenal interview for you today. I'm so excited, but we'll get into that here in just a minute. So welcome back, guys. We got all kinds of challenges coming your way. And something that we do once a year inside the Journey of a Christian Dad, we have a program called The Ascend. And what that the ascent and what that is for is to help guys get more done in 12 weeks the things that are important but not urgent the things that you're going to do someday but someday keeps getting pushed down the road if you're one of those guys that really wants to to change your life to accomplish those important things not urgent shoot me a, just a quick message shoot me a quick uh, note to uh, the christian dad podcast at gmail.com or shoot me a facebook message or, or text me or what have you but if you're looking to do something more, achieve the important things that you just haven't got around to doing, if you're looking to advance your faith life, the guys in the last group overwhelmingly wanted to uh, advance their faith life, overwhelmingly wanted to become better Christian fathers. Uh, and then we also help some guys make hundreds of thousands of dollars in the real estate market as a, <laughs> one particular guy did pretty well. So with that said, if you're looking to do something more, if you're looking to do the important things that you haven't got around to do, and you're looking for a group of experts, um, we'll put that together. Uh, the group starts forming in November, and then in December you get some homework. January we get it started. So that's enough about that. That's called the ascent. And uh, anyway, let's get right into it, guys. I've, I am so fired up. We've got Ken Evans with us today from the Manhood Journey. This is a guy years ago when I was putting the podcast together and I was just looking for resources, looking for people, looking for books, looking for wisdom. He was on the list. He was on the list. So this interview has been years in the making. And thankfully, we got connected the other day and have become fast friends. Uh, amazing guy. Super, super generous. And oh, by the way, he's got a book called The Manhood Journey. He's got a book called Wise Guys. He's got a book called Bring Your Hammer, which we are going to talk about today. Uh, this book is so good, guys. I love books that are written in this style. So with all that, coming into this interview, Kent, welcome. I'm so excited to have you on the Journey of a Christian Dad podcast. Well, Dan, it's an honor to be here. I love what you're doing on the podcast, and I'm really grateful that you would have me on. Everybody is blessed to have you on, so the audience is going to No, that's love not what this. the last guy said. The last guy said it was <laughs> awful. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. <laughs> it happens. It happens. No, what does I've he looked... know? What does he know? That's he right. Know. That's right. He's the coppersmith. Anyway, we're <laughs> talking about the coppersmith pre-show, so let's jump into it. How in the heck did you end up in this area of life yeah. and, and kind of get into being a subject matter, matter expert on helping guys be great dads? Yeah, I, I was, um, my wife and I have been married 27 years and we have five boys. So our sons ra range in age from 22 down to seven. Uh, one's out of college, one's in college, one's in high school, a couple in elementary. And so over time, 
as we started having boys and then uh, we adopted a couple, we realized, man, God must want to do something with our family and raising godly men because that's all he gave us. And now we have a daughter-in-law, which is awesome. We have one daughter-in-law. Uh, my oldest is married. And so I was a business guy. So, I mean, I guess still am to a degree, but I was in corporate world for a long time. And we uh, had a guy at our church who said, hey, why don't we do something for fathers and sons around here? <laughs> and so that's kind of how it started. Uh, about 12 years ago, um, we started doing some Bible studies. We started doing some retreat type stuff. We started doing some education and some Sunday afternoon teachings and all that. And it, it, it morphed into what became Manhood Journey, some Bible studies for fathers and sons. And then we've launched, you know, the podcast and some books and some other things uh, to kind of animate this dad audience. And we just feel like we're called to help dads be disciple makers. That's really what we feel like our calling is. And God's been really faithful to give us just enough uh, resources, you know, kind of m- month in, month out to stay in business and keep doing what we're doing. So all the guys listening aren't directly called to follow your exact path and write books and all these type different things. However, sometimes we get this urge or this nudge or something shows up in our life where we're like, oh no, I don't want to go there. Did you ever get that feeling as you were evolving? Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I had an old uh, former pastor and the way he used to describe calling and kind of that sort of thing. I really liked the way he used to describe it. And he said, sometimes we discover our calling like Saul on the road to Damascus, and it's a blinding flash of light, immediate 180, you know, complete interruption, and the call is unmistakable, immediate, and obvious. He goes, but I've found most guys discover their calling by progressively experimenting with their gifts. And I love that idea of discovering what God has for you by, you know, stretching out and giving it a try, right? I remember the very first book that I wrote back, it launched in 2016, and I wrote it in 2014, 2015. And I remember thinking, I don't even know if I can really write a book. You know, uh, <laughs> let's, let's give it a shot. Uh, and then you fast forward about a year, the book comes out. And I happened to be on the Family Life Today radio show with Dennis Rainey, which for me was like <laughs> a, just an absolute mountaintop experience. And Dennis Rainey Got, goes. Guys that are listening. That is a mountaintop. Like, <laughs> he's a if legend. you don't know Dennis Rainey, like, Dennis is a legend. Uh, but <laughs> yes. he said something which is really cool. If you spread apart this moment of giving it a try to that moment, he literally held up my book in his studio and he goes, "Hey, man, this is a really good book. Good job." And I remember thinking, "Hey, I must be halfway decent at this writing thing for Rainey to say that." And so, uh, I would love to encourage dads who are thinking about whatever it is that's their next step, whether it's raising teenagers or starting that business or going into that ministry or whatever that next step is, you know, you won't know till you try, like give it a, give it a shot. And then let's see how it gets validated or challenged or shaped over time. And I really do think we can find God's call in that way. And yeah, there's a ton of things about what we do at manhood journey that I still a haven't totally figured out very, I'm not very good at. Um, and I'm still learning. And there are some of those where I'm like, I, I'd rather not do that again. Um, so I'm still a massive work in progress over here. Yeah. So maybe it's something like a career change. Maybe it's something like uh, you get an email from the sports league that says, hey, great news. We got plenty of kids to play ball with this year. Pause. <laughs> and we don't have any coaches at all. So if somebody doesn't step up, kids yeah. aren't going to be playing ball this year, including yours. <laughs> 
Sounds like you've gotten that email before, Dan. Like, I like, have got that, that email before. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Uh, you know, whatever it is, you know, it, it, it could be something like, man, it feels like I should go to church on Sunday. Mm. A lot of guys don't. A lot of super faithful guys don't. And some of those guys say, man, it feels like I should go to church on Sunday and, and I should bring my family. And it's like all these different things. We have a little bit of fear based around it of, well, this means changing. And I don't know if I'm ready to commit. I don't know what's mm. going to happen if I change. What am I going to give up? You know, I know what I have. and It's fine. Yeah. And I have a pastor friend, Dan, and the way he describes it is, uh, John would say, chase the mystery, chase the mystery. And so he talks a lot about that idea of sometimes God calls us into something that he only gives us 5% of or 10% of. Uh, and that's the idea is he doesn't give us a hundred point zero zero percent of what the next steps are. And he just wants us to step in in faith and give it a whirl. So I guess I wasn't planning on focusing on that a little bit, but as this is coming out, so as as you know, I've been working on a few things, and it's funny to start out with a podcast at the very beginning of things and not have anything else. You know, there, there's no ambition to write a book. There's no ambition to do anything other than one day I said, hey, God, what do you want to talk about? And he said, your podcast. And I said, no, you don't understand. We just had a lunch, and you were at the lunch, and... I clearly told the guy that my number one thing I was not going to do was start a podcast, and here it is at night, and you're telling me to start a podcast, so, okay, I guess I will. Right. And then he says, do you know, do it like the Christian dad, you know, use that as a topic and whatever, and so I'm like, well, who am I to say no to you? Hmm. I guess I'm going to move forward with this, and then frustratingly, not having the people and talent around and looking and it's like, okay, you told me what to do. Why don't you just clear this sucker out for me and make it easy, you know, set the dominoes in front of me so I can just knock them down. And it, it wasn't that way at all. It was trial and error and talking to yeah. people and, you know, somebody shows up in your life and you're like, oh, this is the guy. And then you realize that now he's maybe a false prophet. Let me discard this guy. Let me get him out of my life right away. Mm. And I've been working on putting the website together and just different things. Like, not me, because I'm no good at that stuff. And the other day, somebody came came back to me that I've known really well for a long time. I said, hey, I got some capacity now. I'd love to help. <laughs> I'm like, oh my gosh, I've been totally wanting to right. figure out how to get your help. Because you love the mission. However, time is lacking. and. Yeah. I'll be darned if the guy doesn't uh, immediately get news that he's got cancer, news that oh, his wow. son, newborn son has to, after he's born, go to the ER mm. and stay in the NICU wow. for three weeks while he's got cancer surgeries lined up. And his wife says, please pray for my husband and pray that Dominic stays in the NICU long enough so that he can have both of his cancer surgeries completed. Wow. Like, that's oh, what yeah. you want me to pray for, is that? Right. right. Oh, and oh, and I skipped out. The son has, the, the newborn baby has uh, Down syndrome. Yeah. I did not know that prior mm. to. Wow. And so anyway, all this stuff's coming together. I'm like, ah. And to hear what their prayer requests are and how they've navigated. And I'm like, wow, this would break some people immediately. And, mm -hmm. you know. Took him a day to take in this news and recover from it. But anyway, 
it's kind of cool having pieces show up, not yeah. on my time, obviously on God's timing. And, uh, okay. I don't know. Well, uh, you, know, you remind me, you remind me of two quick things I would love to share with guys who are maybe where you and I are. Uh, one is, I remember going when we were first starting Manhood Journey, we needed to file for nonprofit status, right? So I didn't know the thing about that. I had no clue how to do that. So I called a buddy of mine who'd started a nonprofit. He gave me a phone number to his attorney. So I sit down and have coffee with this guy, Randy. And I go, hey, Randy, here's what I'm doing. You know, I've got this ministry idea and I want to file a nonprofit. And I literally held my two hands out, like left to right. And I said, hey, Randy. So across some kind of spectrum, at one end, you just, we have this cup of coffee, you point me in the right direction and I go figure this out myself. And then I, I hold my, held my other hand up and I said, at the other end, you do everything and I sign stuff uh, and, and just you do it. And I said, how, across the spectrum, how can you help me? And oh, by the way, this whole spectrum is the free spectrum. Like I can't pay you. Uh, <laughs> and I go, so maybe this is just worth a cup of coffee to you, but that's about all you're going to get. And he laughed and he goes, I'll do that thing. And he pointed at my hand that represented him doing all the work. And I said, Randy, that's the one where you do all the work. And he goes, Kent, look, I've been in law for 40 years. I don't need your money. I will file your nonprofit completely for free and you will sign documents and you'll write one check to the IRS. That's a pass through. That's it. All my time will be free. And three months later, we had a nonprofit filed and it was just because like, that's when we needed that guy and we needed him at that time for that season. And God just gave us exactly what we needed and albeit for free. And then the second thing, second story I'd share very briefly is I have a friend named Greg who, who ran a really big business. And if I said the business, people would know the name. It's a national company. Um, and Greg was a really gifted leader, very gifted leader. And he told me one time, he goes, Kent, when you're, as you do manhood journey, and I would like for your listener, Dan, to just apply this to their life as you do your job or your, your husbanding or your fathering. He goes, as you do manhood journey, you're going to have your hands in the machine. You're going to be trying to fix the machine and get manhood journey to work and do the things. And he goes, that's good. Keep working on the machine, but don't lose sight of what God's trying to do to the mechanic. And he pointed to me in the conversation. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. He goes, everything that you bump into along your journey of nonprofit and podcasting and writing and all this stuff, you're going to see challenges and problems. He goes, and what I want you to see is, what is God trying to do to you, Kent, because of that challenge? How's he trying to shape you? Not just, oh, gee, I got to go replace a donor. Or, oh, gee, I need 10 more people to come to my event. What's he trying to do? And unfortunately, Dan, one of the things God's been trying to do with me is help me to become more patient. And, um, you know, uh, that process stinks. I hate the process of learning how to become more patient because basically what God does is he just slows everything down <laughs> and he, that's how he makes you more patient is things just go slower than you expect. <laughs> uh, and so I'm learning how to be more patient. I'm learning how to not react uh, so quickly to things. So man, I'm a work in process. And like you, as God's opened one door after the other, you just step through the next door as he opens it and see how they see how they flow and trust him with the outcome. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So that makes me think about John O'Leary. He's from St. Louis, and so I get to bump into him from time time to time. Pretty cool. And he said, you know, oftentimes things happen, and we react with the immediate question of, why me? Why me, God? Why me? Why world? Why did this happen to me? Why me? And another one is, who cares? Who cares? Like, nobody cares that this happened to me. 
And then he flips those questions with a different inflection and says, why me? You know, God, right. why me? Why is this happening? And then who cares? And you think is a productive question. Who cares? Maybe Ken Evans cares about yeah. this one. Oh, let me put him on the list. And I then you think through who are the people in your life that are helpful, who do care and can help you move through this space. Mm. And anyway, hearing hearing my buddy Vaughn going through all this, and he says all those tight. And I'm like, wow, that's amazing how within 24 hours, him and his wife have gotten through the shocking news of things mm. and moved into the collaboration, creating, learning. You know, what's God given to us in this moment so that we yeah. can, I don't know what he's revealing to us down the road, but mm. we're just going to honor him and, and obey and work through it. And in their conversations, they say, we aren't always this strong. So when you're hearing this, wow. don't think that we're a hundred percent this all the time because it's not true. We've been up and down, but currently, we're rock solid. That's awesome. So, yeah, super, super challenging. So we've got your book, Bring the Hammer, 28 Tools That Dads Can Grab from the Book of Nehemiah. And I got to tell you, sometimes I have certain reactions to titles and different things. And, you know, so I'm like, come on now. I'm like, Nehemiah. I'm like, I know that one thing about Nehemiah that I do think is really cool. Maybe two things. I'm like, 28? I don't know about that. I don't know about that. I'm like, we got David, we got Daniel, we got the Apollo, you know, on, on, on. I'm like, we got all these things. I'm like, that'd be interesting to see how you dig 28 things from Nehemiah, and how is that really going to relate to dads? What'd you think? And you did it! Was it a train wreck? No, man, this thing, (laughs) this thing is out of control so, so good, so... As dads, we've got so many different uh, things that we're responsible for, so many different areas where we can grow, so many different areas that uh, are kind of blind spots to us where we don't really realize that that's something we should be aware of. And the thing I love about the book, well, there's a whole bunch of different things, but guys, here's for you, especially the ones that will not read a book no matter what. (laughs) It's super easy. You can just go chapter to chapter. While you're sitting on your throne at the house and you got five or 25 minutes, however long you sit on your throne, (laughs) you can read a whole chapter and there's some great stories in it. And at the end of every chapter, there's some questions that will really make you think that you might then ponder on the rest of the day. Mm. And if you write those down and put some answers, this thing can really help you evaluate your life, where you're at, where your opportunities are, kind of a SWOT analysis type thing strengths, weaknesses, opportunities, and threats. And this can really solidify yourself where you are and where you'd like to go. And um, (laughs) Kent, this one's good. Well, I'm glad you liked it. And kudos to my co-author, Eric Ballard. Eric has been a friend for six, seven years. In fact, you know, internet, internet factoid. I had written the whole book with Eric uh, before he and I ever met face to face. Isn't that interesting? Like, all we've done is, you know, is the occasional Zoom call and phone interaction, uh, and we've developed this relationship. He lives in Houston. I live in Louisville, and I called him a couple years ago, and I said, hey, man, you're a really great writer. You're funny. You're theologically really sound. 
would you want to co-author a book with me? And he said, sure. So we spent, I don't know, six months kind of putting this one together and I had written part of it. And so maybe half or two thirds of the chapters are written by Eric and he did an amazing job. Really, really great writer, very funny, but also poignant, relevant and theologically sound. And one of the things, Dan, we tried to do with the book, to your point, is for men, we tried to put it into bite-sized chunks. So every chapter is, you know, if you're a slow reader, it's about 12 minutes. If you're a fast reader, it's about five to read a whole chapter. Um, and that's why there are so many chapters. We just carved it up so that it could read with pace, as they say, right? Just so you could get through it. You could conquer a chapter in 10 or 15 minutes easy and write out the answers to the questions and to your point, man, Nehemiah is a really interesting character. Most folks kind of go, oh, yeah, he's the dude who rebuilt the wall in Jerusalem. True. But there's a lot to observe about that process. And then really, that's only the first half of the book of Nehemiah. Second half is sort of how he governed in the city of Jerusalem, because he basically became the governor of Jerusalem after they rebuilt the wall. So tons of leadership lessons. And, you know, fatherhood is basically leadership. If we're looking at great godly leaders, we're probably looking at some really great godly fatherhood lessons kind of wrapped in their life. Yeah, absolutely. I love that. Uh, I love that you constantly talk about leadership and people use other words for, you know, being a servant and uh, various other things that they say, you know, when you're a dad and at the core, it's leadership. And as leaders, I remember my paradigm shifted uh, maybe 20 years ago on the idea of leadership. I think if I were to ask the guy listening to this show, if, imagine a leader, imagine a leader in your mind, a lot of like, especially Western kind of Americans would imagine a guy maybe up front in an audience, like a CEO or a coach who's at the whiteboard and they are facing the people who are following them and they're instructing them. That guy's in the process of leading because he's up there and he's looking at me and he's talking. Where, uh, and I know this is obvious, but it took me until I was in my 30s to figure it out. The biblical picture of leadership is kind of the other way around, where what I'm seeing is that person's backside and they are going somewhere and I'm following. And I know that may sound well, well, no, duh. But what uh, you think of like Moses in the desert, um, and there's the pillar of fire by day and the pillar of cloud. Uh, sorry, other way around, pillar of cl the cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night. And it was God's spirit leading the nation of Israel to be called leading the nation. And he was out in front and they were following. And so as we think of a leader uh, as a father, my job is to be headed toward God's throne, to be headed toward uh, have a Godward orientation and kind of be looking over my shoulder and calling my kids, hey man, come follow me. Paul said in Philippians, follow me as I follow Christ. And so there's this idea that if we're going to be godly leaders, we're going to be out in front, kind of the point man idea from Steve Ferrar's old book, um, point man. We're going to be in the jungle, taking the lead on the point, and we're going to be trying to ensure the safety of those behind us. And Nehemiah was a total stud. He did that like lights out, really great examples. In fact, we originally had 40 plus ideas from the book <laughs> and we kind of whittled them down to 28, not because we were searching for a number, but because, you know, we, the book could only be so long. Uh, so we wanted to get them down. We, there's 10 more we didn't include. Nice. Nice. It's so funny how you can take a character and uh, do some research, figure out more and more and more 
sometimes understanding how things were way back in the day. Yeah. That in today's modern society, it's a little more difficult to understand. Um, what was something that you just fell in love with as you were researching? Mm. Nehemiah. Well, real quick, I'll do the 30 second pitch on what happened. Nehemiah works in the capital of a foreign kingdom, right? So he's not at home. He's at, but he's earned a position of, uh, strength and he's the cupbearer to the king. So he's a trusted member of the king's inner circle. And his brother comes to visit him. Chapter one leads off. The brother comes to visit. Nehemiah goes, Hey man, how are things back in Jerusalem? And his brother says, man, awful. Walls broken down. Big trouble. We need a lot of help. And Nehemiah's knee jerk reaction. This is one of the more fascinating lessons I learned in the book. Nehemiah's knee jerk reaction. Chapter one. He wept. He fasted. He prayed and he confessed his own sin. <laughs> and so, okay. Dads listening to this podcast are presented with problems day in and day out. Some of those problems are small, like, hey, we forgot to take out the garbage or, you know, you didn't pay that bill or whatever, something small. Uh, sometimes the problems are big, like your friend's cancer diagnosis yes. or kid's diagnosis uh, or they lose their job or the wife has a major health problem. There's, there's small and big problems. <clears throat> when Nehemiah was presented with a big problem, his knee-jerk reaction was not to go, oh, God, I'm so downtrodden. How come you're bringing this to my attention? He didn't whine. He didn't just jump into action. What's fascinating, Dan, about the first two chapters of Nehemiah is it gives us two date stamps, time stamps, where it says in the month of, in the year of, and then in the month of, in the year of. So we know exactly how far apart chapter one and two are, about five months, four or five months. And Nehemiah's initial reaction to big problems is fasting, praying, weeping, and confessing his own sin. I found that to be fascinating and and convicting, right? My kids bring me a problem. I just go into solve it mode. Oh, we're going to do this, and we're going to tell that coach, and we're going to tell that teacher, and we're going to tell that pastor. Where you Go into solve it mode, where Nehemiah's default setting was to seek God's favor to admit his own weaknesses and just on and on his, his step one, his first base to problem solving was not solving the problem. It was admitting his own inadequacy to solve the problem uh, and asking God to bless whatever was going to happen next. And I just found that to be super fascinating and extremely convicting and I still don't do it well. And I wrote a book about it, right? I mean, it's like ridiculous. You think I'd have it mastered by now, but that is where we need to be, man. As husbands, as dads, as problems come at us, our default setting doesn't need to be to lash out, to gripe, whine, complain, even necessarily to solve. Our default setting needs to be seeking God's favor. And, and, the, and the size of the problem should probably correspond to the size of our entreaty and our desire to seek God's favor. And I, it was a lesson I'm still learning. Uh, and, you know, I first bumped into it four or five years ago, and I still don't have it mastered. Put you on the spot. Do you do any of this fasting stuff? I haven't fasted um, of any significance in probably a year or more. Okay. Uh, there was a time when I fasted more regularly, uh, especially as we were adopting Titus, who's now seven. And that was five years ago. We had more regular fasting as a family because our adoption process was stuck and we were trying to just kind of go before the Lord and ask him to unstuck the process. I would say the last year or two, I really haven't fasted much. 
And it's something that just because you asked me, I'm going to put that back on my radar. I should probably <laughs> be more intentional in that area. Thanks a lot, Dan. Yeah, yes. yeah. I'll come back on your podcast again in 2027 when I want to be reminded of something else I'm not doing right. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> 2029. So there's a book out there called uh, Atomic Habits. And in that book, James Clear says, um, join groups where your desired behavior is their normal behavior. Oh, wow. And fasting is one of those things where I've got a couple friends that are pretty regular fasters. One guy doesn't eat on Sundays. Like, Every Sunday, he just doesn't eat at all, and I'm like, eh, that's a little ambitious for me. That's not not where I want to go. However, um, whenever I'm like, okay, I should probably fast. Like that'd be good, you know, for whatever reason. I did do one. Oh, this was maybe four months ago. Uh, it was three and a half days. Three and a half days, only uh, water or uh, bone broth. Okay, and in that. And things, I was so connected to God. Mm. Every time I wanted to eat, triggered that, you know, hey, why yeah. am I doing this? Hey, thanks for the reminder, God. Appreciate, appreciate you throwing me a little, I should grab a little snack, you know, <laughs> should do a little something. I'm like, man, that was so cool. And um, there's been various times where I've fasted uh, for purpose other than weight loss or whatever. Yeah. Where I've been praying about something or whatever. And I'm like, this is something that I just feel like is like really cool. It's it's almost like going on a retreat, except for you don't have to go on a retreat. <laughs> That's a great way to put it. Yeah. I mean, so anyway, you you brought up fasting, and I'm like, man, I think that's something that that guys can get into. It's not as hard as people think, and you can even do the intermittent fasting thing oh, where sure. you you know yeah. just shut it down at four o'clock in the afternoon or skip a meal or. Mm-hmm. But these little sacrifices that we can do can help us. One, our family says, hey, we're eating food. What, what about you, Dad? Right. Oh, there's some leadership here, you know, and there's some opportunities to share a little bit and grow a little bit. But, uh, yeah, I don't know if you got any other thoughts on fasting or not with, with Nehemiah. Yeah, I recall um, what it reminds us of, like you said, is when we are fasting, it reminds us of our dependence on God. You know, you think uh, we, we get very independent. Again, I'll lay some of this up again, not just human condition, but Americans are probably uniquely bent toward this just because of our national kind of pride thing. We we love, uh, we value independence above many things. And there's a lot of ways that's really healthy for a country and for people. I get it. But for a believer, for a believer, we really don't want to take a position of independence. We want to take a position of dependence. Uh, We're dependent upon God. Uh, I remember hearing the filmmaker and actor uh, Alex Kendrick, one time, he was in front of a small audience and he goes, hey, I don't know what all you need individually, but I know what all you need collectively. And that is you need God's favor and God's favor trumps your strategy. It trumps your effort. It trumps your money. It trumps your ideas. You need God's favor. And I think what fasting does for us is it reminds us how much we need God because you go, gosh, I can't go one day without food. That's crazy. Uh, that's how much we need God. Um so yeah, thanks for the reminder, man. I'm, I'm going to dive back into some fasting habits in the coming uh, months uh, because you're right, man. It, it's a, it's very spiritually cleansing. There's a reason why God encouraged it. There's a reason why um, the nation of Israel did it so often and it was part of their rhythms as a nation. A lot of value in that. Yeah, yeah it's funny when people, you know, they people we run into and they're like, oh, somehow they hear you're fasting. I don't brag about it or whatever, but uh, they'll go, oh, that's unhealthy. 
Oh, thank you so much. I appreciate your concern. What What are some things that you know are unhealthy about it? Oh, well, you need protein and you need and you need. Right. Okay, okay, got it, got it. I hear you. Anything else? And then, you know, move on with the conversation. If they're stuck in there, you know, if they ask yeah. a question back, why are you doing it? You know, I know it's unhealthy. You tell me, and then, yeah. Well, no, it's okay. We you don't have to eat every meal every day. Even lately, you start to see some diet and health related literature that has come out even in the last year or two on the value of intermittent fasting. That's like yeah. kind of all the rage. While you and I are recording this, it's August of 22. Um, I don't know what will be true August of 23, but right now it's like science is kind of catching up to the idea that, yeah, the occasional break from food is actually pretty healthy for your system. Not going on a 40 day fast or, you know, some super, super long and deprivation that could be a little tricky, but man, a, a fast every week or a fast every month, of a day or two, I think what we're finding is, voila, shocker, God built this into our system where it's actually good for us, you know, mm-hmm. go figure, just like all the research in the last decade on like high-performing athletes and stuff is they all get uh, plenty of sleep. Yes. And really, shocker, you know, no duh, you know, like, good to know that we're now rem- being reminded that God said rest is really valuable. Rest yep. is really valuable. Yep. And that uh, Sunday thing, you know. Keeping yeah. the Lord's Day rest, and you know Absolutely. that means various different things. We can always talk about another topic, but rest is a key thing to to put into our lives and allow our our minds some space to contemplate the Bible, contemplate Nehemiah, contemplate you yeah. know just to contemplate and think. Yeah. Absolutely. So one of the questions that was in the book was, and this one I thought was so amazing because it takes it outside of ourselves and causes us to think about what our actual priorities are, what our actual priorities are. And I know personally, I've disliked when somebody says, you know, God, God's number one, you can't idolize anything, can't worship false things. Like for those like, what are you talking about? Cell phones, guys, internet guy, like whatever our minds are thinking about, yeah. you know, if you're checking fantasy baseball every day, guilty, in the morning, <laughs> your mind tends to think about that. So the question is, what would your kids say is the most important thing in your life? Mm. Often, here's what a lot of guys do. And I've seen this in my own life. I've seen this in the life of friends. And as I've been involved in fatherhood ministry now for about 12 years, I've, I've got a lot of surveys, a lot of input from dads. If you think of your life as like these concentric circles of people who know you, who know you. So in the dead center of the bullseye, it's basically you and God. You know, God knows you better than you know yourself. Uh, one ring out, you know, the, the next ring out is your wife, if you're married. Uh, she knows you very well. The next ring out are your children, uh, especially if they're still in the home and they're young enough to be around you a lot. Uh, the next ring out are your coworkers, people you spend a lot of time with at, at the office. And then the next ring out might be a volunteer committee or your golf buddies or your poker club or whatever. Uh, and then you got acquaintances out there. What guys tend to do is they tend to become convicted by those inner circles. God's telling you, knock it off. God's telling you, stop doing that or start doing this. Your wife is telling you, hey, man, you're really angry with the kids all the time. Your kids are telling you, dad, why are you such a hypocrite? How come you do one thing on Sunday and different thing on Monday? So what you end up doing is the inner circle becomes almost like this black hole of discipleship 
where you think, geez, I can't lean into these relationships. I can't disciple these people because they see how I really am. So you go out and you become, you know, the deacon at your church or you become the men's ministry guy and you're going to minister to all these other men and you're a leader. You're a great. But at home, Mark Batterson in his book, The Circle. Oh, Man, yeah. Uh, I remember a line out of that book and he said, I want to become famous in my own home. And what a great line. Because he was talking about the fame that can come from, you know, being an author, speaker, preacher. And he goes, I want to be famous in my own home. The main thing I want is I want my wife and kids to say, now there's a real believer. There's a, there's an actual, you know, guy who does what he says he's going to do. I heard a guy say on a podcast today who, who was a preacher and he had three or four children. He goes, the children of preachers, the reason there's this whole kind of PK idea that if you're a preacher's kid, uh, a lot of those kids go off the rails. He goes, because of the work of their parents in the ministry, they become super highly attuned hypocrisy detectors. Mm. And so because their dad is up every Sunday preaching about something, uh, they look the other six and a half days of the week and go, huh, does he actually live this out? Does he live this out? And so kind of connecting that idea back to the question we raise in the book, it's not so much to say, hey, I want to be X, Y, or Z. That's important that I understand what I'm trying to do as a believer and as a dad or a husband. The question is, what would my kids say? What would my kids say? And I heard Tony Dungy one time say, if you don't take care of your children, that doesn't make you a bad person. It makes you neglectful. <laughs> and his and his point in saying that, because you kind of go, well, gee, that's not any better. His point was, once we can put an accurate label on the problem, yes, we can start to solve it. If I just go, oh, gee, I'm a bad dad. I'm a failure. I've got no. And, and, and you get in this mentality of just dad and husband bad, but work, making money, hitting a softball, hitting a golf ball. I'm great at that stuff. So I'm just going to go where I'm already good instead of working on the areas where I'm weak. A lot of that is because we're just not accurately labeling the issue, accurately label the issue. If I tend to be an angry jerk with my kids, I tend to be an angry jerk with my kids. Awesome. What's the opposite of anger? Peace, self-control, etc. Awesome. Now I have something to work on. Now I can sink my teeth into doing that as opposed to just lamenting the fact that I'm a bad father or I'm a bad husband. So I hope what dads will take from this conversation, Dan, and this particular point is be willing to ask the question, either self-reflective wise or go actually ask your kids, especially if they're a bit older, hey, what would you say is the most important thing in my life? I Like, I dare you. I dare you to go ask them. Not because you need to feel shoulder slumped and sad if their answer isn't the exact right answer you wanted, but because it's great information. It's great information. If you want to sight in a rifle, what you do is you sit it on the table, you sit it on the sandbag, you take a shot, and then you go, huh, that's too high. And then you adjust the sights and you take another shot. And the only way you can adjust the sights is by taking a shot and knowing, oh, shoot, that didn't land where I wanted. So go ask your kids, go ask your wife, what would you say is the most important thing? And if one of them says, you know, your fantasy baseball is the most important thing to you, then awesome. You know, you got some work to do. If one of them says, your most important thing is making money. Your most important thing is me time. Your most important thing is cutting the grass, whatever they would say. Awesome. Let's see what those answers are. And I'll bet you, Dan, those answers won't be as dramatic and tragic as most dads think they are. A hundred percent. Absolutely. Go do it. And the follow-up question on that was, okay, why? 
<laughs> why why would the kid you know and sometimes the kids say something and then their why is like really funny and that was a ridiculous answer but you know in that specific day of their life that minute of their life you know they concocted something whatever it was <laughs> your most important thing dad is taking me to get ice cream they might yes say right <laughs> they're, just, they're just trying to they're just trying to work you <laughs> that's right that's right <laughs> So there's one time on the opposite side of that, uh, I imagine your kids, for whatever reason, have decided sometimes that they just want to take a shot at you and punch you in the gut with a comment for some reason, whatever that reason might be. I don't know if anything's coming to mind for you. I remember last summer was one of, a really bumpy summer with one of my boys, and almost everything I did kind of like exacerbated the problem. And at one point, my 19-year-old son literally said to me, he goes, Dad, I know you're trying to help, but pretty much everything you're doing is making it worse. And he wasn't like hateful. He wasn't trying to catch me. He was just trying to tell me, bro, it's like there's a, it's like a grease fire and you're throwing water on the grease fire and all you're doing. I know you're trying to put the fire out, but that's the wrong way to put this fire out and everything you're doing is making it worse. And that was a really great pivot point for me when we just, we wrote him out of our will and disowned him and changed the locks on our houses. You know, we don't need that kind of feedback. Right. Around the Evans house. So just beat it. No, it was really great in the sense that I appreciated him being willing to tell me what he really thought. And it also gave me, again, like a rifle or a depth charge, it gave me a sounding where I could go, ah, okay, I need to stop doing these things because I'm just making this problem worse. But yeah, for sure, man, I can think of a lot of those examples. Yeah. As you were talking, I was thinking about, I've got the super sweetest daughter in the entire world. I'm sure a lot of dads can say that as well. <laughs> Uh, and she got to be about eight years old. And right at that time, she comes up with, and however this comic came out, it really stung immediately. She says, you know, Dad, you're just too holy. Wow. And I was like, tears came to my eyes. It felt like I'd been punched in the gut. And I'm what like, did she mean by that? What she meant by that was, at least what I felt like she meant by that was, um, dad, I want to piss you off mm -hmm. and I'm going to sting you where I know it's going to hurt. Mm. I know almost anything in the world I say won't hurt you, but I think I got you. I think I got you. So and she, she went was from she this, mad? Was she angry when she said it? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. She wasn't, she wasn't ready to punch me in the face, but she was, she was, there was something going on at the time. And her comeback to it was, you're just too holy. And I'm like, okay, maybe she, yeah, I, I forget what phase we were in as far as instruction in the house and uh, reading the Bible and things like that. But whatever it was, that comment came out of what felt like nowhere. Like, wow. And she went from super sweet, innocent, perfect, most loving all the time <laughs> to that comment. And she'd never said anything to get at me in her life. And I went, Interesting. my, my immediate reaction was that emotional feeling and what am I going to do about it? And yeah. let me, you know, whatever, you know, guys would tend to like in, immediately want to take action on something. <laughs> I'm like, all right, I, I shouldn't choke her out. <laughs> you should go like Charlton Heston on her from like the old Moses, like the old Testament. Um, and just go, I will smite you. You want holy? I'll bring holy, kid. Uh, 
Yeah, so I immediately wanted to defend it. I immediately wanted to attack sure. it. I immediately wanted to do something. And I took a deep breath. And I said, okay, well, what am I feeling? Why am I feeling it? Oh, you know what? Satan fed her that line. Satan fed her that line. Satan gave her extreme wisdom in that moment to hit me right where I did not want to be hit. And I was shocked. And I was like, okay, I'm going to calm down a bit. I'm going to... I'm going to pray a little bit. I'm going to pray for protection and shielding. And yeah. I'm going to pray that, um, you know, her and I grow closer together from this. And I'm not letting Satan divide the two of us mm-hmm. from this point forward. And then it was funny after that. It was like no big deal. It's like she never said wow. that comment and everything went away and there was no fight. There was no any of that. Wow. You know, we just gave each other a big hug and everything was cool again. But it was recognizing that something was off and mm. what I did about it was just pray. You know, you remind me there, there's an author who was really popular in the eighties, nineties, early two thousands. Uh, really great guy. A lot of your listeners may remember him. If they don't, they, they might've read one of his books. A guy named Dr. Ken Blanchard. Oh yeah. You know, leadership author, business guy, believer, really good Christian guy. And Ken Blanchard had a quote that was attributed to him. And it was, feedback is the breakfast of champions. Uh, feedback is the breakfast of champions. And for uh, if you think of someone like, what dad do we know listening to this podcast right now, Dan, who says, I want to be you know, kind of a below average dad. I want to be like, <laughs> you know, just adequate or somewhere near like maybe, you know, half not bad. No dad says that. No dad says, I want to be an average dad. They all say, I want to be like, you know, a Hall of Fame dad. I want to be great. Well, guess what? I'm sure that Tom Brady has watched a lot of game film, even when he became a pro quarterback. In fact, probably especially after he became a pro quarterback. I'll bet you Steph Curry still watches a lot of game film. It's just the difference difference between now and, say, 15 years ago is he probably knows what he's going to see, right? He's kind of been there. He's seen every defense in the world. He's seen it all, but he goes, yeah, I can see where I should have maybe dished out to the left, or if I'd have been a half second quicker on that, you know, back pick, it had gone. He's gotten a lot more sophisticated in his understanding, but the Hall of Fame athletes watch a lot of game film. Well, dad, your wife's comments back to you and your kid's comments back to you are game film. They are the game film. And if you're afraid to watch it, you're not going to the Fatherhood Hall of Fame. Because we've got to uh, agree with Ken Blanchard, feedback is the breakfast of champions. Ooh, I love it. I love it. So what else in the book? I know we haven't covered tons and tons and tons of stuff. We've hit a bunch of stuff that's in the book, but we didn't specifically reference things. What else is in the book that you'd want to share with the audience? I would say here's maybe the, the, the overarching um, idea, the overarching idea is when Nehemiah was presented with a problem, he went about the process of trying to solve the problem, but all along the way, he recognized that God was in charge of giving him favor to solve the problem. So Nehemiah goes to the king and he says, hey king, here's what I need. You know, I'm summarizing, of course, but he goes, here's what I need. And when the king says, you got it, and gave Nehemiah basically everything he needed plus, Nehemiah says, you know why that happened? That happened because the hand of the favor of God was on me. And so he didn't say, that happened because, man, the king sure is powerful. Man, that happened because the king is gracious. That happened because I've been such a good employee for the last 10 years. I earned the right. All that's kind of true. But the biggest truth is 
the hand of the favor of God was on Nehemiah. And so as dads, here's the deal. I, I hustle as a dad. I try hard. I lead a fatherhood ministry. I kind of have to, you know, <laughs> so like <laughs> I, I want to do my part. But if my kids turn out well, or if they love the Lord at 18 or 20, or they pick a, sm- a great wife like my oldest son did, if they are in, in church and if they're doing all that stuff, it is because the hand of the favor of God is on my family. And I've got to, I've got to lose sight of the fact that it's just an input output kind of thing like work. You know, if you hustle at work, you're going to get promoted. If you do a good job, you're going to make more money probably. So normally there's this vending machine idea of effort, reward, effort, reward, effort, mm-hmm. reward. That's not true as a husband. That's not true as a dad. What's truest as a dad is if you have kids who love the Lord, that is the favor of God in your life. And so the theme of Nehemiah, there's lots of them, but one of them is Nehemiah went after this big problem and all the while hustling, trying, fighting, building, leading. He did his part. He did his part. But he recognized all along the way that any good outcome was due to God's favor in his life. And so as dads, we got to do our part, but leave the results up to God and give him the glory when those things turn out well. So the this part of Nehemiah that when I saw the book title was him building with a sword in his hand. Yeah. That's tough to do. <laughs> it's, it's a fascinating, if all you read Nehemiah for was leadership, go read it. I mean, you, you could, but man, there's so much. Cause he even had at one point, he had a guy with him who had a trumpet who had a, a loud trumpet and they knew they were probably going to be attacked any day for rebuilding the wall. He had all his enemies. And he said, Hey, uh, I'm going to have this trumpet guy with me. And if there's a problem, there's a problem. Me and the trumpet guy will go to the part of the wall, wherever the attack is coming from, will blow the trumpet, meet me there. Like he had, he was a very, very strategic guy. And you had people carrying supplies as part of the wall building and they would carry supplies in one hand, you know, maybe a big pallet yeah. of stones. And then in their other hand, they would have a sword because they were under constant threat. And as dads, as dads, guess what? If you're a dad, you are in a spiritual battle. You may not realize you are. You may not, you may be oblivious to it, but you are in a spiritual battle uh, as a dad every single day. You're in a spiritual battle. And I got good news. The battle eventually ends. It, event, it ends when you die. It ends when you die because it's going to go on forever. You're going to have that battle. Till you die or Jesus comes back, one of those two things has got to happen for that battle to be over. And so dad's got to have that same mindset. I'm going to build. I'm going to invest. I'm going to pour time in. I'm going to do the work of being a godly husband, a godly dad. Meanwhile, I'm going to be ready to fight, fight spiritually, fight spiritually for the sake of me and my heart and my soul and my walk and for the sake of my wife and my children. Absolutely. Another thing I love in the book is the very beginning, the very first chapter focuses on love. The godly dad loves those under his care. And the reason reason why I love it is... Go ahead. Oh, yeah. I say the reason why I love it is uh, when my thoughts start from a place of love, they're better thoughts. God is love. Love is God. And if my thoughts start from a place of love, they're better thoughts. If my questions start from a place place of love, they're better questions. Mm, Man. Nehemiah, when he was presented with this problem back in Jerusalem, he could have just said, oh, man, 
hey, brother, I'm really sorry about your problem. Uh, tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to go to the king, get you some money, get you some supplies. You can take them back. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to hook you up, man. I'm going to give you the hookup because I know the king and I'll hook you up. He could have taken a um, disconnected approach to trying to solve the problem. Instead, instead, he said, you know what? I am going to jump into that problem personally. I'm going to leave my job. I'm going to go far away. I'm going to go. I'm going to come help. And so a lot of dads, like to go back to the email you got about being a coach, a lot of dads will see the problem and go, man, I'm going to write a $100 check. <laughs> and that may be needed, right? If you want to write a $10,000 check, here's manhoodjourney.org forward slash donate. No, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> but th- there's times when we've got to input resources, whether that's money or connections or whatever. But then there are times when motivated by a heart of love, we got to jump into that problem. We got to jump into that problem ourselves. And with our wives and our children, especially, we got to be willing to jump into those problems and not just try to fund them from the outside. And Nehemiah was a great picture of that. So you made me think a couple Saturdays ago, we had a massive flood in the town I live. Massive flood. Everybody was affected. And this one subdivision got affected big, big, big time. And I've got this workout group. Uh, everybody's got nicknames. So my buddy Tex-Mex is going to lead that day and he leads the greatest workouts of all time. So I'm super fired up when I go to bed that Tex-Mex is going to lead this group. And I wake up in the morning, I check the message thread we got and it says, Hey, workout canceled. We're all going to go over to this subdivision. We're going to help flood victims at seven o'clock, not five 30. And if you want to come, you know, pre-scout the area out, show up at five 30, whatever. And uh, I'm like, no, no, no. I went to bed and I knew what my plan was. I was super fired up and excited about it. Laid my clothes out like everything is ready to go. And then I've got something planned at seven. Like <laughs> I'm, I'm already doing something different at seven. And I was angry. Uh, I was frustrated. And they're like, by the way, if you want to work out with the other guys, you know, you can go over to this other location. I was like, maybe I'll do that. Maybe I'll do that. <laughs> so dumb so dumb i take a breath finally collect myself i'm like god what do you want me to do here like i think it's pretty clear what you want me to do here but i don't want to do it this is not the activity that i want to do and right exhale like let me go get a different set of clothes this is going to require different equipment to go rip out walls and slob through just sewage and mud and muck and disgusting and stench and all this stuff. So I go. We all work for three hours or so, 10, 10.30. And in that, I run into a guy who's a, a veteran, retired guy, and he comes to tears. Mm. And he says, this is so amazing what you guys are doing for us. We are just in shambles over here. And... Tears are coming out of his eyes. Like, I'm so grateful. And I don't know how we're ever going to repair you guys and, you know, whatever, on, on, on. And throughout that process of being there, doing all that stuff, I think to myself, man, God, there's no place in the world I would actually rather be right now than Mm. being here, helping out and seeing the tragedy, but also seeing the hope that are in people's eyes because so many people came from so many places to help them get through one of their most difficult times in their life. And most of these people didn't have enough coverage or any coverage of any insurance money of any type. And they had mm. 25 and 
couple hundred thousand dollars of damage per house. Wow. It was, it was awful, but seeing that they just got affected and then seeing the hope in their eyes and smiles and camaraderie and like they weren't destroyed like yeah. you might would think somebody would be. Um, we went to Kentucky a while back and saw the victims of the tornado the very next day. And same thing there, like the spirit of hope and a spirit of, yeah. you know, we're going to rally the troops and, and get through this. And it's really cool seeing different Christian groups show up and, you know, really care and love our neighbor type thing. But well, anyway. I want to encourage, I want to encourage a dad listening to your story. Jesus in the garden of Gethsemane prayed three times to have this crucifixion passed from him. You can go look it up. Um, and it says he prayed that the cup would pass from him. And in the end, he said, but not my will, your will be done. And so I would love to go back to the point where you said, here's what I wanted. I wanted thing A, and I think God was calling me to thing B. And you stopped for a moment and you had this conversation with God. I think a lot of dads feel like that that tension between what we want and what God's asking us to do means we are a bad person or means we are a half Christian, right? I should just be like, oh, it's so great, God. Thank you so much for the opportunity to wreck my day. You know, like, no, that's not uh, even Jesus, who was perfect, went to God and said, hey, is there some other way we could do this? Is there like another plan? And he kept asking. He didn't just ask once. We see at least in the book of Mark, I think, if I'm if I'm right. Yeah, yeah, three times. Yeah, you're right. Three you're times. right. Three times. But but where he landed, the net effect was, however, I know I'm asking you for a way out. I know I'm asking you for a way out. I know I'm asking you for a way out. But since you've said no, I'm in. I'm in. I will do it. Um and so I want to just re- uh, encourage some dad listening who thinks any dissension or any frustration or any challenge with God's plan in your life means you're a bad person or a bad Christian. No, it doesn't. It means you're actually a whole lot like Jesus. Just where we got to end up, we got to end up at the place where we go, all right, but look, if this is what you're calling me to, I'm in. And that's where we got to end up. But the process of getting there is often uh, a little bumpy. And sometimes we're asking for some other uh, back door that uh, God doesn't always give us. That is awesome. And that ties right back into where we started just talking about when we feel like we're called to do something, a direction that we necessarily don't want to go. And guys, absolutely what Kent said, there's no reason to feel guilty. There's no reason to feel like we're a bad person. We all have our own things that we want to do in the way that we think. We're human. And that's right. what humans do. We're not right. We're not God. You know? <laughs> we may need to remind ourselves sometimes that we're not all powerful. <laughs> there are certainly some people in the world publicly that I'd like to tell they aren't are all powerful. <laughs> I just know a lot of dads, Dan, man. We hear all the time, face-to-face events, surveys. We've heard from thousands, and a lot of dads feel like they're failures. They just feel like they're not doing enough, they're not enough, et cetera, et cetera, and they, they are down on themselves. And that's usually uh, just an attack from the enemy trying to discourage you and trying to make you go self pull yourself out of the game, right? You're, you're playing the game and you drop a pass and you go, that's it, I'm leaving. I'm going to go sit on the bench the rest of my life. I'm going to sit on the bench because I dropped that one pass. That's not God pulling you out of the game. He didn't call a timeout and pull you out of the game. You did that. And the reason you did that is because you believed a lie. You believed a lie. And that is because you dropped the pass, you should never play the game again. And so even 
those moments where we see even Paul, right? Paul said, I prayed three times to have this problem removed. And God said, no, man, my grace is sufficient for you. And so we see this pattern of godly men in the New Testament, Jesus, Paul, and on it goes, asking for God to do something and then eventually relenting and saying, okay, but I'll do it. So dads, you're not a failure for wanting things a certain way. You're not a failure. Uh, and you're not a failure as a dad for not being perfect. Stay in the game. Galatians 6, 9. You're going to reap a harvest in due time if you do not give up, if you do not give up. And I hope that's an encouraging point we can um, you know, kind of make sure we leave dads with today is do not give up. Keep going, keep going, and keep putting yourself under the will of God even when it conflicts with your own. Yeah, that is that is encouraging. Absolutely. So at the end, as you know, we always like to throw out a challenge for the guys and any any final thoughts or anything that you have. So whatever you'd like to share and then whatever challenge you'd like to throw out to the guys, something they can execute from this week to the next podcast they listen to, usually in a week time. So maybe not something that's a unbelievable, incredible challenge, but something that can be done, something actionable. Guys love challenges. Go complete a triathlon. No, I'm just kidding. Yeah, there you uh, go. It's probably a little too much to ask in seven days. Uh, I would go back to the question you raised from the book. I would challenge the dads, go ask your children, what would you say is the most important thing to me? Now, like, I dare you, I dare you to go ask your children and also ask your wife, what would you say? And then here's the thing. Don't debate them. Don't argue. Don't fight over it. Uh, don't go sad. Don't kick the dog. It's just feedback. Right. Mm -hmm. As Ken Blanchard said, feedback is the breakfast of champions. It's just feedback. Go find out what would they say is the most important thing to you. Even if your kids are grown and out of the house, text them, call them up, ask them uh, and see what they say. And then I bet you're actually going to be more encouraged and and more joy filled and surprised by the answers. Even if you think "Mm, I'm a little nervous about what I may hear back, I would challenge the guys to go do that. Wow. That's awesome. That's awesome. I why not? Why not do that one today? That one is an easy-to-execute one. Email Dan and tell him what the answers were. Yeah, Email definitely. I'd, say, lo- hey, I'd love to hear Here's it. what I heard were, was the answer. Uh, that would be really, really interesting to hear back. I love that idea, the Christian Dad Podcast at gmail.com. I'd love to, love to hear what you guys say about that. And then I'll throw you guys a bonus challenge. This one's super easy. We all love to buy things, so jump on Amazon, <laughs> click the little buy now button, buy, bring your hammer, 28 tools dads can grab from the book of Nehemiah. It genuinely is a really good, fun book. And it's got tons of great questions like that one that'll help you advance your life. No kidding, guys. This one's really cool. Thanks so much for saying that, Dan. And kudos again to Eric Ballard for co-authoring the book with me. We had a blast writing it and I appreciate you letting me come on your show today and talk about it. Absolutely, man. I'm thrilled to have you. And uh, anytime you're willing to come back on, we'd love to have you back. 2027. If you ask me about (laughs) fasting again, let's just pencil that in. I've got it. Got it. I I got it marked down. (laughs) And that's the thing with accountability guys. When you've got permission to revisit, uh, ask for a time when you can revisit it also. And that accountability can help guys grow. So 2027, Kent, I'm hitting you up. E- email Dan and <laughs> offer to be on his podcast so you too can have the areas of your life pointed out where you're just not getting it done. It's great. <laughs> this is awesome. Can't wait to come back. <laughs> look, look forward to having you guys on too. 
<laughs> well, I appreciate it. It's been so much fun. You got you bring humor and laughter and energy and excitement, and everybody can use guys like you in their life who bring bring those elements. So, thank you. My pleasure. Thanks for having me, brother. Absolutely. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Journey of a Christian Dad podcast. Thank you guys for being a light. Shine that light out and let others see it. With you guys, part of this community, it helps me be accountable to you guys. It helps me be accountable to myself, be accountable to God and Jesus. I hope you appreciated this episode and picked up some great things. I hope you like the challenge and hope you can execute on that challenge this week. I ask of you, please subscribe, share the show with others. Join us inside of the Journey of a Christian Dad on Facebook, inside our private community. Share that community with others. Have your buddies join. Have other dads that are looking to grow in their faith, grow as spiritual leaders of their family. As we engage in our journey and be intentional with it, we can help others grow theirs as well. We thank you again for listening. We thank you for all your reviews. Look forward to reading a review of yours on a future show. So, dear God, Thanks for blessing all of us, and thanks for drawing us closer to you. In your name we pray. Amen. Have fun, guys.